Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Phenology, the winner of SeedStars World Competition together with Wani. And uh, we're going to find out more, how did they build their business, what are they solving for, and how is it to do business and fintech in Malaysia. So welcome, Jared and uh, Wani. Can you tell us a little bit about how we got here all together? It was Thursday, the 20th of May, when I got an email from a close friend and it said, Malaysia won! Exclamation marks. And I was like, wait, what? And uh, I scrolled down and I learned that Phenology had just won the Seed Stars World Competition. I got super excited, reached out directly to Jared and to Robin. And here we are today. So Jared, welcome to the show. We'd love to learn more about you, about Phenology. Can you please introduce yourself and share a bit more about how Phenology started and what is the idea behind it? Thank you, Wani. Thank you, Rudy. I'm Jared. I represent Phenology. I'm the co-founder. We started in 2017, but uh, really this is not my first company. Prior to this, I was also in fintech. We started a online product aggregator back in 2012. This was not too long after I had to get my first uh, home and a mortgage loan along with it back in Malaysia, right, for my family. So back then when you were going online, when I was going online, I couldn't really find much information on the mortgages all into one place. I decided to start something, put everything into a website. We started by aggregating mortgage information, talking about, I know it's a bit of a blog as well. I was writing about how do you deal with creditors? How do you look for a best loan? How do you apply for a loan? What's the process? And yeah, it grew into something else altogether. And we got invested into by a media company back in Malaysia known as The Star. I think you probably heard of a group. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in 2013, the Star Media Group bought in quite a significant stake and they wanted to take it in the direction of media. But I, I truly, we truly believe that everything that you could do could not really, you could start a whole journey online, but you couldn't really uh, get the answers or the instant approvals uh, immediately because the banking and insurance industry wasn't exactly ready to meet the digitalization. They would just look for leads they were generated online. You do a lead drop and then it goes with an offline process. So at the end of 2016, uh, me and Robin, we decided that, you know what, we would like to continue trying to solve the real problems instead of just doing an online lead generation channel. And we bought out the Stars stake and we then took the company from where it was. We rebranded it and we had a new mission to make financial access seamless everywhere. So a lot of what we do today revolves around making finance embedded at places where people need it. Yeah, yeah, 2017, and it's been three and a half years since. All right, so let's rewind a bit. So what is the problem that you're solving? And if I'm a user or a new user, how does that work from a client's journey perspective? So if you think about it, all of 
financial services today for loans and for insurances, especially in our part of the world, right? You can only interface with it via the services of a salesperson or a bank brand or a mortgage agent or an insurance agent. So for example, if I were looking for a house today and I was saying, wow, this house looks good, I'll be interested to buy. You, the first thing that comes to your mind is actually how much of a loan could you be eligible for, right? Would you be approved for? Because you wouldn't be being, paying with it for cash. And this is one problem. Another problem would be, for example, if you're buying a car, you would face the same issues. And in Malaysia, what you had to do was you had to first pay the earnest deposit and then take uh, a couple of days to uh, deal with banks at the branches or deal with a salesperson put your applications into maybe a few banks or, or, or salespeople, wait for the underwriting team or wait for the credit team to come back and give you an offer before you knew how much you would be eligible for. In the meanwhile, the salesperson will be waiting, you will be waiting, and sometimes when you can't qualify for the loan, you lose your deposit. Correct? So what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring the underwriting instantly to the point of need. So it's called, uh, our, our vision is really embedded finance where people need it and making it very seamless. So right now right. what we do is we have a universal set of APIs that are that are really designed around making underwriting seamless and putting it at the point of sale where people need it. I'll give the example that I'm going back to will be housing loan. Right now, for certain agents or certain property developers, if you went to their gallery and you saw a house that you were interested in, they could immediately use an app or use their own property sales system that has been integrated to our APIs. They could snap your IC and then it would immediately start an instant and digital underwriting journey for the customer, which will result in the same day in a pre-approval of a loan. By the right. way, IC is identity card. Yes, IC is an identity card, so sorry. And we do the same, for example, insurances as well, where in the past, for you to get a, for example, a motorcycle insurance uh, renewed, you would have to call in or you would have to walk into a post office or go to the road transport department and take a queue number, wait for them to do a manual quotation, pay at the counter and go away. You couldn't really do it online because there was no way to dynamically price the risk of a motorcycle so what we did was, I myself ride a motorcycle and I faced this problem as well. I'll give you an example of what I did. I Before we launched motorcycle renewals online, right, and all the infrastructure to support it, we had to, I had to go to the post office, take a number, and by the time I got to the head of the queue, the lady at the counter told me, sorry, system's down, come back another day. Two weeks later, I went back there. Oh to try and get my insurance renewed. Because if you can't get your insurance renewed, you can't get your road tax. And again, same right. thing. The person at the counter told me, I'm so sorry, system's down. Come back again. I forgot about it. I went back sometime later and oh, shucks, my road tax is still, I'm not renewed. It's invalid for a while. I need to get my insurance. I went back to the post office a third time. By the time I got to the head of the queue, the person at the counter told me, I'm so sorry, your road tax has expired for too long. You now need to go and get your vehicle certified first before you can get your insurance and your road tax. Now, you want to guess what is the total cost of a road tax in Malaysia for motorcycles no. under 150cc? $20? <laughs> no, it's 50 cents US. It's oh, too right, ringgit. <laughs> but for that, I had to go back three times and I still couldn't get it. So I see. <laughs> yeah, so similar problem. 
you, you think about it, the people who are using motorcycles in Malaysia, they are all the B40s, the, the bottom 40% of the uh, demographic, right? The economic social strata. So they were facing this problem. It was not worth it for a private actor to solve this problem because it's only two ringgit. And how much could you make from a two ringgit uh, road tax, right? But we decided in phenology that, you know what? We're going to solve this once and for all for the whole industry. And why couldn't it be done online? It's because the infrastructure to support dynamic pricing of insurances, of risk evaluations, of vehicle model valuations, things, all the services that needed to be to support it was not there. We took a couple of months to get the infrastructure up, put it into APIs, and then we put it on the first website in Malaysia to, to sell online in Malaysia, and it started taking off. So as you can see, what we do is we actually do the same uh, concept, or we, we apply the same concept to multiple financial products and services, mortgage loans, car loans, motor insurances, SME insurances, medical insurances, basically financial products that you need every now and in your daily life. And we put the infrastructure uh, in the form of APIs that enables underwriting to be instant. So you can get instant loan eligibilities, instant loan approvals, instant price quotations, instant policy or contract issuances. We make it available in APIs so that any distribution channel that is even marginally digitally enabled, by integrating with our APIs, they can also start offering the same financial services to their user base. And we are constantly on the lookout for products that need this kind of treatment for financial uh, service partners like banks and insurers who might find it is too expensive to revamp their tech stack internally and decide to just host it with us. So what we do is we host these uh, products and then it is made available to the public. So Jared, are there no other companies doing what you do in Asia? Well, there are digital brokers which primarily sell products online on their own websites or through their own app. But what we do is we focus a lot on our APIs and some of these digital brokers themselves become our clients mm -hmm. or our distribution partners. And we don't have a narrow focus on just loans or, uh, or insurance or something. We basically do it for any financial product that requires that kind of infrastructure. And it helps that we already have the proprietary technology for instant underwriting for both credit and insurance. And you would say that is your unique advantage? Uh, yes, it's really easy to get started with us distributing financial products. So a lot of the... Uh, larger channel partners of ours who in the past have never moved or sold uh, financial products. Yeah, some of them have just started with us in like three months. And uh, yeah, they're moving decent volumes today. All right, then how do you make money out of these two cents kind of problems? What's your business model? So we make money two ways. One of it is we have we charge a tech enablement fee. Primarily, the tech enablement fee is for these channel partners. What they do is they would have to, for example, subscribe to our APIs. And sometimes they would engage us to also uh, do some customization and implementation work. So when they sign up with us, there is a certain amount of reliable revenue every year or every month because of the subscription fees. And then on uh, another end is we also 
take a cut of every, it's your traditional broking already. We take a cut of every financial product that have been sold or have been served from the financial services in, uh, institutions. And who are your target customers? Our target customers are really, first of all, we don't have just one group. We have three groups yeah, of customers in a sense. On the supply side, it's the financial service industry, banks, insurers who either want to improve their tech infrastructure or who want to just sell and move products through our network. So that is the first group of customers. The second group of customers digitally are basically our channel partners who help to move or distribute financial products. Examples of them in Malaysia for us are the largest, two largest property listing sites in Malaysia. Another example mm-hmm. is the property developers themselves who sign up to some of our services mm-hmm. and uh, real estate agents who use our services as well to basically do instant loan approvals for their client, uh, their customers. And the last segment of users or customers is, of course, the consumers themselves who want to get access to financial products at their point of need. I see. And uh, well, coming back to how you make money, right? And uh, the unique problems that you're solving for the consumers. Where are you on your journey in terms of product development and also geographic reach? Are you focused only on Malaysia or Southeast Asia? And I think the in terms of making money, the question is also about unit economics, right? And have you reached the scale that you want or what's the ultimate plan here? We have not yet reached the scale that we are looking for, sure. We think we need to grow the total transaction volumes by at least 10 times within the next three years for us to reach scale of economy, economies of scale by mm-hmm. uh, 2023 or 2024. But at the moment, our tech enablement mm-hmm. services and fees are coming in handy, giving us quite a lot of reliable revenue. Because before any partner can start distributing products, they have to go through this journey of enablement, correct? Of course. Mm. So that gives us uh, sometimes quite chunky uh, revenue streams as we're doing the implementations. At the same time, we also have financial services, the clients, people from the industry, banking and insurance industry, who having worked with us, they hey, what? Would it be okay if we bought or asked you to be a vendor to us and then you sold your technology and implemented it for us in-house instead of us hosting with you, we now license your technology. So again, that gives us another uh, revenue leg for the implementation and licensing fees. All right. Then are you focused only on Malaysia? You're based in Kuala Lumpur, right? Yes. We are based in Kuala Lumpur. Most of our business is, or the distribution business is in Malaysia. However, in the last two years, since 2019, we started getting inquiries from uh, other parts of the world. Today, we have sold our technology into clients from five different countries, all in Asia. And at the same time, we just, in 2020, set up a local office in Cambodia, also for broking purposes. Because, you know, broking, you can't just go in and start distributing financial products. You need a license of sorts. Mm -hmm. And for that, you can you must have a local entity. We for to do that, we have to assess the merits of entering into a country and running broking operations there. And when the opportunity presents itself, and we think it's uh, worth the startup effort and cost, then we would set up an entity over there and operate it with local partners, where we inject the technology, and they do the run around for looking for channel distributions. Mm-hmm. 
Jared, can you share any lessons learned for potential entrepreneurs thinking of starting their own business? <laughs> uh, fintech entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general? Uh, either way. I, I would say our journey it has not been the fast and glorious uh, kind of journey. Our journey has really been much more slow, exploratory, and uh, steadily uh, keeping our heads down and getting there. So we've bootstrapped our way uh, all the way to this point. And if you, you, when you start on your journey, you, if you have only a motivation to make a lot of money, then I would say this kind of uh, startup journey is not easy to keep at. Whereas for us or for myself, my motivations are a little bit different. Uh, of course, there is also a profit motive. But I started from a more modest background with issues with access to finance, my motorcycle, my housing loan, and my own family. We struggled a lot with uh, debt, and uh, we had, or at least I, I used to have debt collectors coming up to our family's doorstep. That was a very strong motivation for me. Why I even started back, even in 2010, when I started the blog on how to deal with creditors. Well, it's not my own debt, it's really my family's debt, but still, it's how to deal with banks, how to get a higher card, how to negotiate, how to get the best loan, what loan is good, what loan is not good. Depending on the kind of temperament you have and the kind of motivations, you have to choose the, it will determine the kind of journey that you go on. So for us, it has been a lot more value-adding, there's patents behind some of our technology, it's the slow burn, slow, long, patient journey to get to where we want to go. Uh, whereas if you're looking for the live fast, go out, guns blazing like we work, I guess, then it's a very different kind of temperament. And I can say that it, sometimes I, I have questioned and doubt myself uh, as an entrepreneur. Am I cut out for it? Because I don't have the kind of entrepreneur mindset. I don't consider myself to have the kind of uh, entrepreneur mindset that you, you most read about or see in magazines and on the social media, right? Well, but that's why we talk to you to get the truth, <laughs> right? Because sometimes you got lots of, lots of bias or survivorship bias as well, right, in the media. People only talk to people who made it to unicorns or uh, 10 times unicorn and things like this. But there are tens and millions of others who maybe still made it, but on a, under the radar, right? And maybe also there are only a few business books which talk about failures and how things uh, went. And it's, it wasn't always a straight line, right? But there's a huge bias towards just the success stories, right? So we just wanted to hear from you how, how this was for you for real. It hasn't been easy. <laughs> but, it's uh, been really tough personally. But, but, you, uh, yeah, we, but this year, you're the Seed Stars World Competition winner, right? So congrats. And, thank uh, you very much. So how did you find the process and what does this award mean, mean to you? First off, it's uh, really good to feel some level of validation for what we're doing. If you think about it, uh, we've been going at it. Myself, personally, I've been going at it in one form or another for uh, eight years already. First with Lone Street and then now with uh, Phenology, right? And so for the whole team, it's a great validation. And number two is the whole... I'm really just really thankful for the process and the opportunity that we had with Seed Stars. I think it's a huge and great opportunity for entrepreneurs to go out there, go out against the best in the world or many other companies and startups in the world and to go through that uh, 9-10 month program pitching and validating and evolving and competing because it will separate the, the wheat from the chaff 
And in the process of going through it, if you're adopting yourself and you manage to go through it, then that validation that you're doing something of value to society and uh, something that is worth doing, that is, you can say it's a huge, it's a huge honor and validation. The, the, the word validation, yeah, it really, I, I, I don't have the words for it. The, the word slips my mind, but it feels really good. And uh, we hope that it accelerates and uh, brings some much-needed attention to the kind of, I will say, under-the-radar work that we are doing. Because in doing this, we can see the industry slowly shifting beneath uh, our nose. You're looking at more and more inbound inquiries coming from channels that really never had any business doing financial product services. but if you think about it, they, it makes perfect sense to bring the, the underwriting at the point of need. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing people renewing motorcycle road tax away from the post offices, the JPJ. You're seeing people getting their loan answers at the point where they want to decide whether they want to buy the house and they can then decide whether to save on the deposit or to put the deposit down with confidence. Mm-hmm. And when people come back and say, that really made a difference in my life, that rocks. That, that feels great. Yeah. So what lies ahead for Phenology for the rest of 2021 and beyond when it comes to customers, investors, incumbents, as partners? Well, 2021 is basically halfway done. We're halfway through 2021. We're looking towards 2022 as mm-hmm. well. So first off, with Seed Stars, it's a much welcome boost in attention to what we're doing. So we're doubling down on our efforts to close a fund, a round of funds to help us to power through all the way to 2024. And it also brought a lot of welcome attention from some of the client base that we were engaging earlier. And I think with this, there is certain there is some level of validation that they go and say, okay, now I have more comfort level to maybe uh, work with you and integrate with you a little yeah. bit more deeper. So that. So once we've raised our rounds of funds, we are looking to uh, shore up the team. Uh, we are looking to hire more tech talents mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, tackle the, I think at the moment with the, Malaysia just entered the third complete lockdown. In the first lockdown, there was a lot of inbound inquiries where people with nothing better to do, or companies with nothing better to do say, mm-hmm. hey, we are looking at ways where we can reinvent ourselves and prepare for the future. So we had a wave of implementations and onboarding during the first MCO. Now, I guess we are gearing up for that another wave of inbound inquiries. Right. And uh, well, it seems like you've been quite busy last few years, but if you had some time to, to read, do you have a favorite nonfiction or business book that you could recommend that would be relevant also for entrepreneurs? Uh, yes, two books by, if I remember the author correctly, is Jim Collins. Okay. One is Good to Great. Yep. I don't know if you heard that book. Yes. And the other is Built to Last. Yeah. So I've read uh, many books. Well, not many, but I've read a decent amount. And Good to Great and Built to Last is really the business book that resonates with me the most. I would love that a company can... Uh, I view a company as an organism mm-hmm. that has to evolve with time to stay relevant and continue to provide value so that it can constantly renew itself as necessary. And... I highly recommend those books and also the kind of business philosophy instead of the ones that do not resonate so much with me are the ones where you build something fast to scale 
quickly and then uh, you exit. So that's not me, basically. Yeah. It works for some, but not for okay. me. Makes sense. I know both of them, so I, I understand <laughs> that. And Wania and I, we are based in Switzerland, and here things are built to last, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, built to last, yeah. Jared, where can interested parties reach you? They can always reach me on LinkedIn or on my email, jared at phenology.com.my. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Jared, and good luck to Phenology. Thank you, Rudy. Bye. Thank you so much for your time, Jared. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you, Wani. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure being on the show. Likewise. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.